today we're continuing our series on follow me, which are the words of Jesus in different gospels where Jesus says, follow me. And so we're going to be looking at this passage again where Jesus says to someone, follow me. And then he gives them something really hard to do, which is usually what Jesus does. Uh, Gives us something really hard to follow, and that's part of the discipleship process. But to get us started today, um, I got a question for those of you who are joining us online. We're glad you're here. We're glad to have people here worshiping with us live as well and in person. So I'm going to put the question out there, and then I'm going to ask for a response here as well. But if you're online and join us through live stream, you'll need to sign in to put a comment in uh, today. If you, maybe you've already done that, remembered someone today. We're, we're thankful to see those names of others in the comment section this morning. But here's a question for us to get started. Do you think we have too much or not enough material possessions today? Too much or not enough? Now, if you say too much, then the question becomes, then why do we feel like we need to keep buying things like we don't have enough, right? And so, because part of the messaging today in our society is you don't have enough, you need this, you need this new thing, you need this new item, you need to upgrade this, you need to do that, right? That's part of the messaging. So it makes us feel like we don't have enough. And so we begin to accumulate more things. If you're feeling like you have too much, uh, I've got some bad news for you. We do. (laughs) We do. So if you're online, maybe you say one of the things, but think about some of the things. Here are some statistics that remind us that we do have more than enough. First statistic, there are 300,000 items per household in the United States. 300,000 items. There's 7.3 square feet of off-site storage for every man, woman, and child in the United States. I'm not talking about your garage or your basement. We're talking about where you, you and I pay money for off-site storage. That's, that's how much storage in, in the United States. The average 10-year-old in the UK has 238 toys and only plays with 12. There are more TVs per household than people. We spend 100 billion on shoes, jewelry, and watches, which is more than we spend on higher education. We'll spend $1.2 trillion on non-essential goods, and North Americans account for 60% of the world's consumption. So, do we have enough? (laughs) We've got enough, right? We've got more than enough. In fact, we've got too much. We're like the ruler in this story. We've We've got everything. We've got too much. We've got a lot of wealth. Now, um, I was thinking about this. I, re- I read this passage this week, and with everything going on in our political environment, there was a question that popped into my brain. I don't know if it popped into your brain this morning as you heard the gospel, but my, the, pop, the question that popped in my brain was, was Jesus a socialist? Was Jesus advocating socialism? Because we're hearing more and more about that today, this idea of socialism. Here's a definition of socialism. I don't have it on the screen for you, but here's the definition. A political and economic theory of social organization which advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. That's the definition of socialism. Marxist, in Marxist theory, socialism is an intermediary step, according to the definition, between capitalism and communism. And so in, the, in those theories, economic theories, economic, of use, economic use, that's kind of the breakdown, the definition. And I, again, I am no expert in economics or economic theory or politics. 
Yet, I started to think about this, and I began to think of it as, what is the biblical, what is, what is Jesus saying here? What is the Bible teaching us? And so I, found, I, I came around a very simple way to understand this, and it's very simplistic. I realize uh, there are those of you who are smarter than me, and we could debate this. But here's the simple way I've boiled it down for us to get our heads around. Capitalism is about private ownership. Socialism is about community ownership And biblical stewardship, what the Bible teaches, is about God's ownership. God owns everything we have. Think about that. And I think part of the reason that, uh, this is just my thought on this, is is that part of the reason that socialism may be more attractive today is because we've failed to convert people from capitalists to biblical stewards. We have been all caught up, even in the church, even myself, we've bought into this capitalistic idea that it belongs to me, right? Private ownership. Not that it belongs to God, and I am to talk to God about what God wants me to do with it, right? To help others, to benefit others, to be generous towards others. That's biblical stewardship, to see everything belongs to God, and then we look out among us, and we look at the people around us and say, God, how do you want me to bless and be generous to the other people around me? And I think the reason that that, really, that's part of the struggle today. Remember, in this series, we're talking about a follower. A follower, by definition that we're working with, is this, to go or be in the same way with someone in thought and action. That means to follow Jesus is to go in the same way in thought and action of Jesus. And what did Jesus do with wealth? He did not possess any. He depended on God. And he gave what he had away. That's what it means to be a follower. So I thought about this. We think about this in terms of some, we would call them maybe even conversions There's some conversions, some mental shifts that we need to make to follow Jesus. And the first one is obvious. We've just been talking about The first mental shift that we need to make is that God owns everything we have, I have, you have. To make that mental shift from it belongs to me to it belongs to God. That's a conversion of the heart. You know, last night, how many people went, anybody go trick-or-treating last night? Anybody? I see some young people. Did you go? And you got a lot of candy, I'm assuming, because I know the kids on my, our street got a lot of candy. And uh, the bags are full. And I know from uh, raising children that when they get that Halloween bag of candy, who does it belong to? Who does that bag of candy belong to? To, the, to who? When you got it. Remember? Remember going trick-or-treating and you got your bag of candy? And if you had a sibling that wanted some of your candy, right? <laughs> What happened? What, did, did you fight about it? Did you argue? I'm looking over here. I see some heads nodding, a young, right? And you said, this is my candy, right? This is my candy, right? So there's a children's message we've done in the church several times over the years. And one of the things we do is we call the children together and we'll give one of the children a full bag of candy. And we'll say to that child, here are your two options. You can keep everything. You can keep all that candy if you want and, and take it home with you today. Or you can share it. And every time that, that we do this, the child looks at the bag of candy in their hands and they see it. And there's that little part of them that wants to hold on to it, right? 
But this, the next thing that happens is they begin to look around and they see other people around them that don't have candy. And every time, the kids share the candy. And that, there are two reasons for this. One is that it wasn't theirs to begin with, right? Someone gave it to them, a full bag of candy, and they recognize that it's not their candy. It doesn't belong to them. And the other thing that happens is they look at the eyes and other people around them, and when they see others, they naturally want to give it away. They naturally want to share it with others. Children are some of the best teachers, They teach us right in an illustration. Sometimes I think of these children's messages. They're not for the children. It's for us, right, to teach us. Jesus actually brought a child and had a child stand among them and told them to consider the child and the faith of a child, to let the child teach us and lead us. So think about that. See, that's the key to biblical stewardship. The key to biblical stewardship is to see that God owns it, right? It belongs to God. We got it from God. And we look out to other people around us and we say, what are the needs in our community? What is going on around us? And how can we be generous and take the things that God has given us and distribute them and be generous with them to other people? That's biblical stewardship. That's to see God that owns everything that we have. And that's the basis of this idea. The other conversion or mental shift that we need to make too, that I think Jesus is leading us to here, is less is more. We've heard this before. We've heard this phrase before. So Jesus is saying, you know, give up these things would actually free you. And that's what's disappointing to the ruler is that there's so much. The ruler has so much and it's disappointing and discouraging and sad. And it says he's sad. Because he's got so much. And it's hard to let go. It's hard to say less is more when the world tells us more is better. I've been reading a book on the rule of St. Benedict. I'm sure, how many people are reading about the rule of St. Benedict today? Anybody? Uh, No, no, nobody? I didn't think it was on the New York, it's not on the New York seller top list, but I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, This is just some of the things, one of the areas of interest and uh, In the rule of St. Benedict, it teaches about living a simple life, but not for simplicity's sake, not just to be frugal, not just to save money, but to be free. And we're, what's the name of our denomination? We're free Methodists, right? We're called to be free. And uh, so here's what Joan Chichester says in her book, Wisdom Distilled from the Daily, Daily, which means the rule of St. Benedict. She says this, I begin to clutter my house with things that separate me from life. I have become unfree, a prisoner of consumption, a hoarder of artifacts. They own me now, I don't own them. They own me now, I don't own them. Could it be that we are so busy managing our stuff? If we have 300,000 items in our households, We've become managers of our wealth, right? And that takes time, and that takes attention, and that takes energy. And here's another statistic for us. We will spend 3,680 hours or 153 days in a lifetime searching for misplaced items. It's because we have so much, right? If we have 10 items, 
not hard to keep track of. 20 items, not hard to keep track of. 300,000 items, pretty hard to keep track of. So think about how much of our life is spent managing our stuff. Maybe Jesus wants to free us from this. Maybe Jesus wants to free us from the tyranny of the keeping up with the next 3G, 4G, 5G phone system. Or the next computer upgrade. Computer sales spiked when uh, people went into quarantine to keep up with school and everything. So everybody started buying new computers. They realized, oh, I got to upgrade. I got to upgrade to get to keep up. And technology keeps us caught in this spot, this kind of keeping up mode of never feeling like we have enough memory or internet speed or whatever the enough is for us. And so we're kind of trapped, right? So is it hopeless? Is it hopeless? Jesus says, no, it's actually not hopeless. (laughs) Jesus said, you'd actually have more in this life if you gave it away. You'd have more. You and I would have more, he said, in this life if we gave it away. That's what he said to the disciples. The other thing Jesus says is, he uses a little bit of humor here, right? And he says, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And in a way, maybe Jesus is being lighthearted. Maybe Jesus is using this kind of exaggerated illustration to say, yeah, it's, this seems impossible, right? But Jesus doesn't end there. He doesn't end with the illustration. He says that what's impossible for us is possible for God. <laughs> it is possible. The, what's not possible is for us to do this without God to try and figure it out on our own, which is really where a lot of our society is today. They're trying to do, we as a society are trying to do it without God. We're trying to figure it out without God. And yet God says, if you'll bring me in, if you will join with me, if you call me in, if you invite me into your life, I will help you with this. I will bring salvation to your life from your wealth if you'll bring me in if you'll depend on me, if you'll be willing to say it belongs to God. We can be saved from our wealth because that's really the question they said. Well, who can be saved? This is, there's no way. Jesus says, with God, it's possible. With God's help, it's possible. I think of what Jesus is really doing here, and it does, Jesus does this throughout the Gospels, is he constantly addresses this issue of wealth in people's hearts. And he notice that even when he lists out the commandments here, he doesn't list out the first ones. He lists out all the commandments that apply to other people. But he didn't mention the first commandment, which is to have no other gods above God, the God that created the universe. And what's going on here is Jesus doesn't mention that by name, but the moment he says to the ruler, give up everything you have and give it to the poor, he's basically saying, follow the first commandment. Put your wealth below God. Put God first in your life and put your wealth below God. In fact, you need to give it all up because it's got such a hold on you. Trust God. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus did is another part of the Bible. Zacchaeus, remember 
Maybe, how many people remember in the song in Sunday school, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. You remember that, right? Zacchaeus, you come down, <laughs> for I'm going to your house today. And the moment he came down and heard that Jesus wanted to be a part of his life, his wallet was converted. <laughs> He says, I'll give back double everything I owe to the poor, and anybody I've cheated, I'll give back fourfold. That was actually twice more than was required. His wallet was converted. And it's interesting that when his wallet was converted, Jesus says to him, salvation has come to this house. (laughs) Salvation. There is hope. Zacchaeus, a tax collector, could be saved from his wealth with God's help. And you and I can be saved from our wealth as well with God's help when we surrender it to God. Let's pray together.